Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, it's Crystal Knight, and welcome back to the show. This week, I am tackling the tipping issue. Yes, Tipping is out of control. I feel like every single place I go, people are asking for a tip. And I consider myself to be a generous tipper. I tend to tip minimum 20%. But every single place, even if I'm just going to pick up something or if I ordered something, it's like every single thing is requiring a tip. And I know I'm not the only person who feels this way. I have talked to so many people over the last several weeks and months just inquiring, is this something that's just happening in your respective city or your state? And it feels like since the pandemic happened, not only have prices gone up for the cost of food, but also there are service charges that are baked into bills. And as a consumer, I am really confused about what to do. Do I tip on top of the service charge? Is the service charge actually the tip for the employee? Or is the service charge something that is owed or goes directly to the restaurant or to the organization or to the place? And I say organization because this is not just about food. I have been asked for tips at non-food based places and it just feels off, feels really off. So, you know, I could go on and on about this level of, of discomfort and I thoroughly appreciate all of the folks who work in service related industries. I used to work at Starbucks. That was my first job. And I remember what it felt like to ask a person for a tip or just to have a tip jar out and say, Hey, leave us a tip if you, you know, if you want to, but now it feels a little more aggressive and in our face. And um, I think many consumers maybe feel like myself. We feel bad if we don't tip. Um, So I really want to tackle this issue. I want to talk to someone who has been pushing for, fair wages for our service employees. And so this week's guest is the leader of One Fair Wage. I cannot wait till we have this conversation so we can break down what is happening across this country as it relates to tipping. I hope you'll listen, learn, and share. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, 
where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This week's guest is Saru Jayaraman. She is the president of One Fair Wage and the director of the Food Labor Research Center at the University of California at Berkeley. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And Saru, there are so many things I want to talk about with you today, but I want to start with this tipping. Tipping has become almost a pain of existence now in consumers' minds. I, for one, everywhere I go, it feels like people are asking me for a tip. And I think tipping is customary. It's a cultural thing in this country, but it feels like it's getting a little out of control. And I didn't notice it as much until the pandemic. Many restaurants were starting to add these service charges. Um, They were baked in fees that are pushed onto the consumer. And now it feels like everywhere we go, someone is asking for a tip. And I know that there are a number of campaigns that your organization, One Fair Wage, is running in a number of different states. Um, But I want to just start with the culture of tipping. Why does it feel like it's become so in our face Um, every single place we go, even if the person or the service worker did not render a service, but it feels like they're asking for a tip? Why do consumers feel like this is something that is an issue now? So I would say I, I think, you know, we we think of tipping as a cultural thing. I would argue uh, that it actually hasn't always been and that the growth and explosion of tipping is very historical, intentional, political, more than it is cultural. So, um, you know, there's a sub-minimum wage for tipped workers in the United States that has a very ugly history that's rooted in slavery. And what we are seeing happening right now is that as inflationary pressures are forcing employers to have to find ways to make sure their workers get more money to recruit and retain them, mm-hmm. they are trying to emulate the restaurant industry's boondoggle of using tips as wage replacement. Okay. And so we are seeing more and more employers trying to add tips in environments where we never tipped before, Right. As a way to essentially replace or supplant what really should be livable wages for workers. And the origin of tips supplanting a livable wage for workers is our nation's ugly history of slavery. Mm. Um, So, look, tipping originated in feudal Europe. It actually wasn't originally American. It started in feudal Europe when aristocrats, nobles, dukes, earls, you know, wanted to give something extra to their serfs and vassals, but always on top of a wage. Servants in feudal Europe got wages. When the idea of a tip or an extra or bonus came to the United States, Americans actually at first resoundingly rejected tipping. This is why I reject the idea that tipping is an original culture of America, because Americans actually started a movement in the 1850s, a populist movement, an anti-tipping movement. It spread over the country. Seven states banned tipping altogether, saying this is a vestige of feudalism. We're democracy. We think you should get good service regardless of how much you can afford to tip. And by the way, we think employers should pay workers, not customers. 
Mm-hmm. And so that tipping movement spread to Europe. The labor movement picked it up in Europe and got rid of tipping in a lot of Europe as a, a vestige of feudalism. But here in the States, we ended up going in the exact opposite direction because about 10 years or 15 years after tipping first came to the U.S., emancipation happened. And at emancipation, the restaurant industry saw an opportunity to essentially hire newly freed slaves, not pay them anything at all, and tell them you're going to have the opportunity to work for the privilege of white people's tips. Mm. And so this happened in the restaurant industry. It happened in other hospitality sectors. Like there were many black men hired as shoe shiners and told you could have a stand. You could pay us for the opportunity to have a stand in this hotel uh, and you're going to get these great tips. And then we saw a company called the Pullman Train Company do this same thing, hiring black men. And it was a luxury train liner. This is how rich people used to get go across the country, East Coast to West Coast. Hired 10,000 black men named, called them all George, and hired them as porters, where they didn't get a wage, they only got tips. Now, early 1900s, those black male porters started forming the first black union in the United States, the Brotherhood of Sleeping Car Porters, and won the right to an actual wage rather than living on tips. But the women that the restaurant industry hired to work for free and live on tips were not so lucky. And in 1919, in response to the Pullman carporters organizing, the National Restaurant Association formed with the express mission, intent and purpose of ensuring that they always got a free or very cheap labor source. And so in 1938, they lobbied to ensure that when everybody else got the federal minimum wage as part of the New Deal, restaurant workers, tipped workers were left out. And so black women got zero when everybody else got a minimum wage. And we went from zero in 1938, all the way up to $2.13 an hour, the current federal minimum wage for tipped workers in the United States of America. Now one of the largest employers of women, people of color, immigrants, one of the largest employers, period, continues to be able to pay this Legacy of slavery wage of $2.13 an hour. It's under $5 in 40 states in the U.S. Yeah. Um, and because the restaurant industry has that exemption, other industries look at them and say, well, if they get to pay, if they get to replace wages with tips, we want to do the same. And that is why we are starting to see this spread. Got it. That's a great breakdown of the history of tipping and just how its roots were not pure and how they were just, you know, the roots are really rooted in exploitation and exploitation of black people, of slaves, of people of color. And it continues today. And you would think considering what this country has gone through and even just bringing it back to this recent pandemic, that there would be a move to everyone would be on board with every single person in this country, regardless of what industry they're in, making the federal minimum wage, which I personally think is too low. But even in the case, if we if we center it around what's happening in Washington, D.C., Initiative 82 was recently passed and it became law. It, it's coming into law. It became law in May. In July, it's going to bump up again from the $2 to, if I'm not mistaken, $5.35. Um, that was the, it's going up to eight in July, eight dollars in July, eight dollars in July. And eventually it'll get to $17 by 2027 year, 2027. 
okay, that makes sense. If you are a person who works in a restaurant, eventually you will make a minimum wage of $17. However, as a consumer, when I go anywhere to a restaurant, if I'm even if I'm ordering Uber Eats or something of that nature, there's this service charge that appears on many of my bills. And I'm confused. I'm completely confused about the service charge. Sometimes waiters or waitresses will let me know like, hey, the service charge has already been included. And that signals to me that the tip has already been included. I was not really aware of this before the pandemic. Before the pandemic, you know, here's your bill, taxes, and then you add a tip. The service charge I thought was instituted to make up for the the lost revenue during the pandemic. Can you break that down? Like, how did the service charge come to be? And do d- does every restaurant use it the same way that maybe consumers may think that it's being used? Yeah, great questions. You said a lot there. And I actually want to start with the very sure. first thing you said in your question, which is you would think most people agree and I want to tell you, most people do agree. The polling shows exactly what D.C. voters showed. 75% of D.C. voters voted for one fair wage, a full minimum wage with tips on top. And This is Initiative 82, correct? Yeah, but Mm -hmm. we've polled in West Virginia, in Pennsylvania, in Mississippi, we've polled in Ohio, and we've polled in red states and blue states. Everywhere across the country, most Americans agree when you work, You deserve to be paid enough from your employer to feed your children. From your employer, not Mm -hmm. from the customer. You have deserved to be paid enough from your employer to feed your children. Most Mm -hmm. people agree, which is why when we put this on the ballot, pretty much anywhere, anywhere, it passes. Now, in D.C., when it's been a 10-year fight with the National Restaurant Association to get this passed, we won it twice. The first time the D.C. Council overturned the will of the people. And so it's been a very, very long fight. And now that it finally passed, the Restaurant Association is essentially looking for a way to pass it on again to the consumers rather than having to pay for the increase themselves. Now, let me say something. Service charges, you asked, what is a service? Service charges don't have to be a bad or confusing thing. They can be a very clear response to a problem with tipping. There's one problem with tipping or many problems with tipping, but one big one is that it actually results. It's a, you know, some minimum wage for tipped workers originated in slavery, but the ongoing reliance on tips to this day results in racial inequities. Even to this day, there Mm. is something called implicit bias. And Mm -hmm. now um, there's irrefutable mountains of evidence that When a black woman serves, even if she's providing what's called perfect service and she's standing right next to a white male server at the next table, she will always earn less. In fact, the data shows it can be anywhere from six to eight dollars less an hour, which can in over a lifetime can mean the difference between buying a house, sending your kids to college. You know, you're talking about Mm. hundreds of thousands of dollars lost over a lifetime because we as consumers across America, regardless of our race as consumers, have implicit bias. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. women of color always get tipped less. So, 
you know, after the murder of George Floyd, and a lot of restaurants actually wanted to address racial inequity, came to us and said, hey, let's work together to figure out how to resolve this issue of implicit bias. So we actually helped a lot of restaurants move to service charges if they did it responsibly. We were helping them move to service charges as an automated gratuity so that with tips, the customer gets to decide how, whether I like her face, whether I, she pleases me. You know, with an automatic gratuity, it's just set. It's 18, it's 20, it's whatever it is. And you don't get to decide based on your biases. And if it's passed on to workers, as we believe it should be, or at least if there's disclosure on the menu, I am using 18% to give to the workers as gratuities and the rest I'm going to use for my own purposes. At least you as a consumer would know how it's being used. It'd be responsible, transparent, clear to the consumer and fair to the worker, right? Right. So Mm -hmm. those are the responsible ways to do it. What happened with Initiative 82 was very different. After the passage of Initiative 82, 10 years of fighting for this, the Restaurant Association was so angry that the voters of DC forcing them to raise wages Mm -hmm. that they organized the restaurants and told them, don't worry, all you have to do is switch from tips to service charges and then take a portion of the worker service charge and use it to cover the wage increase. Now, here's the thing. In any other industry, when wages go up, employers have to figure out a way to make it work. They Maybe they raise prices a little bit. More likely, they change their business model to find efficiencies, or God forbid, maybe they take a little less profit and and share it with the workers. Like that (laughs) is That is what happens when wages go up in any other industry. Now, the restaurant industry argues we have very, very limited profit margins. Okay, then maybe prices should reflect the true cost of a meal in a restaurant. You know, and prices have gone up over the last year as food costs have gone up and gas costs have gone up and consumers haven't blinked. We keep eating out even as prices go up. But with this one cost, the human cost, They didn't want to change the menu price. So what did they do? They switched from a tip to a service charge and they're taking some of that worker money and using it to cover the wage increase, which is not how service charges are intended to be used. So what we are arguing for is if you're going to switch to a service charge, follow DC consumer protection law that requires you to disclose on the menu how you're using the service charge. And we believe that will encourage more restaurants to do the right thing, the thing that consumers expect them to do, which is to pass it on to the workers like gratuities. So if you're entering into a restaurant and you see at the bottom of the menu, automatic 18% gratuity is included, that is considered a service charge. Well, it I mean, they use so many different words, as you know. know. They say service charge. This is why it's confusing, Saru. This is why it's confusing. I know. I know, which is why the DC DC actually has a better law than most places, which is that it requires employers. It's not happening. Employers, unfortunately, are not right now following the law. Mm -hmm. But you need that DC protection, consumer protection law to be everywhere across the country, requiring employers to explain. What is this? What is it being used for? I mean, consumers want that. So they have the clarity of knowing, okay, if I know you're using half of the service charge to cover, you know, wage increases and you're only passing on 10% as a tip or a gratuity, I want to tip 15%. I'm going to add an extra 5% because I know you're only giving 10% of the service charges gratuity. Like consumers would have some clarity. 
Mm-hmm. But the problem with right now is that DC employers are not complying with the law. And in fact, they're even trying to get rid of the law so that they don't have to be clear. I think we should all agree that no matter what people are doing, service charge, service fee, automatic gratuity, they should explain it. They should just explain it. And if they're not willing to explain it, then you have to wonder, what are you hiding? Why won't you explain it to the consumer? Yeah. I mean, I think the other thing that I've I wonder about these service charges. If it says service charge and sometimes it'll say additional tip, are we as the consumer to assume that all of the service charge, which is something that you've just been speaking about, is going towards the um the worker? The other thing I've seen a friend do recently, I was out with her and I, I've been out with her a couple of times and she has started asking um the waiter or waitress for their personal cash app. So instead of tipping on a credit card where maybe the employee might be charged because they're being, you know, charged a fee or a fee is being assessed. If you tip with a um, credit card, I have seen people just ask, hey, do you have a cash app? Let me just tip you directly via an alternative method. That way, I, as the consumer, ensure that you as the service worker or as the you know waiter, waitress, whatever, you get the money directly and you don't have to go through your restaurant or your, your employer. That's right. Yeah, we do. I mean, we have in the past been encouraging cash because, yeah, it, the employers unfortunately charge the workers for credit card processing fees and that comes out of their tips. The problem with a cash app is that tips actually need to be spread among multiple workers. It's not actually just your immediate server who's getting the tip. The server typically is sharing some portion of that with the busser and the bartender and the bar back. And so tips are generally shared in a restaurant. Cash can be helpful because then they can just share the cash. But who carries cash these days? Right. And so, you know, really the most the best solution would be for the employer not to charge the worker for credit card processing fees and to pass on gratuities to the workers amongst the workers and not take a portion, you know, for themselves unless the service charge exceeds the amount of a typical tip. So in DC, for example, average tips is 15.8%, about 16%. So if a service charge is 22%, why not have the employer ensure that they're passing on at least 16%, which is what you typically would tip, even if, and then say clearly what they're doing with the remainder of the service charge. That's the thing. You know, we have to enforce the law in DC and then make sure that's the law everywhere else, which is just transparency and clarity. I mean, that's what I think we'd ask of any business is transparency, you know? So Saru, how do you how do you inform listeners who are hearing this conversation? They want to be, you know, armed with the best information. Is it best for us to ask before the meal even begins? I see that you have a service charge or I see that there's an automatic gratuity. Can you give me the breakdown? Because it can be un- uncomfortable for a service worker to explain Maybe they're being treated unfairly. Maybe they don't want to speak up because they're afraid of losing their job. You know, how do we have that conversation as consumers in the moment? It's easy to approach management. It's easy to call in or write a review. But if we're sitting at a table and maybe we've received excellent service and we just want to know how we can be additionally helpful, 
How do we have that conversation with people? Well, it's interesting. I find consumers are perfectly okay with calling the manager over to talk about like, you know, I asked for vegetarian and it wasn't vegetarian or, you know, I like this or I didn't like that. Like somehow we're okay with talking to managers about other issues and we need to get just as comfortable calling the manager over at the beginning or the end of a meal and saying, hey, I just want to be a responsible consumer. I support workers getting a full minimum wage with tips or gratuities on top. I supported them getting all of their gratuities and not a portion of it being taken away from them. So can you explain to me how service charges, uh, what do you pay in this restaurant to your tipped workers? And can you explain to me how the service charge is used? And then for the consumer to express their desires, preferences, just like you would on the food. You know, Mm -hmm. I like this. I didn't like that. I like the fact that there's gluten-free, but I didn't see any vegan items. We're always willing to say those things. We should equally be willing to say to a manager, like you said, not the service worker, but a manager Mm -hmm. or an employer, as a consumer, I support workers getting a full minimum wage uh, and for gratuities to be in the hands of workers, not employers. And so I want to know how, what are you doing? What are you paying? And what are you doing with the service charge? Got it. Okay. That's helpful. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. So if you can talk to talk to me a little bit about what's happening with the pushback of Initiative 82 and in Maryland, there is a similar law that is likely to pass. I don't think it's passed yet, but where is one fair wage in the fight in Maryland? I know that you're in seven other states, um, Michigan, Massachusetts, Illinois, New York. Um, Maine, California, in addition to Maryland and D.C. But if you could just talk about what's happening in Maryland, and then I'd like to know, how do these other states play into your your mix about moving forward with making sure that every service employee has a fair wage? Yeah. Well, this is the part of the conversation where I get to share the really good news. There's extremely good news on the horizon or actually already happening. So look, with the pandemic, all of the problems I discussed earlier that arise from a legacy of slavery are Mm -hmm. got so much worse. So we got a population that's overwhelmingly women, disproportionately women of color, single moms. They were always struggling with the highest rates of poverty and sexual harassment living on tips. With the pandemic, that got so much worse. Workers reported tips went way down, harassment went way up, and thousands of restaurant workers started to leave. We've seen 1.2 million workers walk off the job saying, I just can't work for these wages and having to gamble as how much I'm getting in terms of tips anymore. And Mm -hmm. so as a result of that, we are seeing, we've counted now over 5,000 restaurants posting jobs on Indeed where they have voluntarily moved from paying two, three, four, five, as much as 15, 20, 25, 30, $35 an hour plus tips in every state across the country because they cannot find enough staff willing to work. So even in DC, restaurants that fought us four years ago on this issue are now paying this voluntarily because wow. they have to in order to recruit staff. So 
that momentum led us to say, it's time to go big. We launched a campaign last year called 25 by 250, where we're actually moving bills and ballot measures in 25 states. I think maybe you got the number seven because seven states have already passed it. We're now moving bills and ballot measures in 25 states across the country by the United States 250th anniversary, which is 2026. So we won this in DC. We won it in Michigan. It's moving, as you said, in New York and Connecticut and Massachusetts and Ohio and all these red and blue states. And in Maryland, Maryland lost 20,000 workers during the pandemic. Every state lost workers. Mm -hmm. So they are desperate. And the wage in Maryland is just $3.63 an hour. And with the wage going up to $16 in D.C., they're about to lose a lot more workers who are just going to get up in the morning and cross over to to get five times the wage. And so... Prince George's County, I think, is going to take a lead in moving this issue. And then we're going to see other counties follow. And I think this can move at the state level as well. Governor Moore has said no worker left behind. Minimum wage is one of his top issues. And so I think this has this is going to move all over the country in the next couple of years. And as much resistance as there is from the National Restaurant Association, I think they, too, know that the writing is on the wall. This is the future. Because they have started to move, the Restaurant Association, in response to the staffing crisis, has started to lead laws across the country to weaken child labor protections. I'm sure you've seen this. I've seen this, yes, which is very scary and dangerous and all the things. But the Restaurant Association has been incredibly blatantly open about it. They said, we cannot find adults now willing to work for these wages So let's get minors. So they've just passed a bill in the middle of the country that would allow somebody under the age of 18 to serve alcohol. Wow. You know, the folks that proclaim family values and they want minors to serve alcohol because they can't find adults to be bartenders. We're willing to work at two and three dollars anymore. Look, when the cost of a gallon of gas is double your wage, you're not going to pay more to get to work than you get when you get there. That's right. And so people are no longer willing to do this. The change is coming. It's moving in. DC is just the beginning. It's moving all over the country. Uh, And it's the only future. It's the only future for this industry is to pay enough for people to live. Absolutely. So, Saru, I have to address what you just said about child labor. How, How do you see your fight addressing this issue? Because I've seen several, and I don't know if this is, specific to any one state, but I've seen several people post across various social media platforms that they went into, you know, fast food restaurant A or fast food restaurant B. And they witnessed children who appeared to be underage, high schoolers, you know, people who would likely be in school. And maybe this is off, you know, outside of school hours. I'm not exactly sure. But how do you that seems like it will be the next thing, the next frontier. How do you, how does your organization plan to even grapple with that, considering that for so long, children have not been able to work? They certainly have not been able to work in handling alcohol. What, what's the response here? There okay. is really only one response, and that is that we have to make 
a livable wage, a minimum wage, the law. It has to be a requirement to pay everybody a full minimum wage with tips on top. As long as we allow the industry to pay two and three and four and five dollars, they're going to keep looking for any population, immigrants, young people. I don't know who they're going to go to next to find people willing to work for these wages because they're finding there are not enough adults willing to work for these wages. So the solution is raise the wage. Other, that, that is the only way to ensure that the Restaurant Association doesn't keep looking for more and more people. By the way, as when we, the way we started this conversation, it's also the only way to ensure that more and more industries don't mm-hmm. do what the Restaurant Association is doing and start to try to add tipping as a way to pay, pay people less. As long right. as we allow one industry to pay people less, every other industry is going to want that same exemption. So it's just got to be a full minimum wage. That's the only... It's either that or let 11-year-olds work in restaurants, which right. I, you know, I just don't see how that's a long-term solution. I don't either. And it doesn't seem to be healthy for our economy or just society if we relax labor laws because people don't want to pay minimum wage and the, or not even minimum wage, a living wage, because we know 725 across this country, it just isn't enough. And if you're a, a service worker, you're not even being paid $7.25. Saru, what's what's one lasting thing that maybe you would leave with people as they're thinking about this and they're heading out tonight or you know over the weekend into their favorite restaurant or into their favorite place where they are rendered some type of service? What is something that you'd leave with folks? So that we can think about this the next time we encounter service workers. And this, by the way, this includes, you know, people who deliver food to our house or, or homes, people who deliver groceries, who do any type of delivery service because they're included as well. In addition to our Lyft and Uber drivers, these are still service people as well. That's right. And, you know, during the pandemic, we clapped for these folks. We called them essential. We call them heroes. Absolutely. And a lot of workers said, you know, don't call me essential and then continue to allow me to be paid $2. You know, I don't need your claps. I need to feed my children. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what we need consumers to do is, you know, sure, give your thanks and your tips to the worker, but that talking to the worker about it is not going to change the situation. Tell the employer, the manager or owner in a restaurant, the company from whom you're getting the delivery service, tell the employer, I want to see you as a conscientious consumer. I want to say, see you pay a full minimum wage to these workers. I expect you to pay a full minimum wage to these workers with tips on top. Uh, and I want the workers to get the tips and the gratuities or the service charge. They're, they, they're the ones I'm giving it for. And to, there are restaurants that are doing the right thing. People can go to highroadrestaurants.org and see lists of thousands of restaurants that are doing it right. Um, and so if you if you go to a restaurant, show the manager or owner that list, that website on your phone and say show them and say, I want to see you on this list so that I can keep coming here because I want to support restaurants that are paying people a full wage with tips on top. Got it. Okay. Wow. Well, this has been a very interesting conversation. I really appreciate you for breaking this down and for just sharing that this is something that's happening basically across half the country. And I hope that restaurant owners listen to this and understand that there is an organization and people who just care and are 
you know, really deep into this fight to ensure that every single restaurant worker, every single service worker is paid a living wage. So, Saru, I want to thank you again um, for just taking the time to share with us and our listeners about this tipping. Uh, I don't want to call it a fiasco, but this tipping, you know, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. is chaos on the on the chaos. one side, upheaval towards a better future on the other side. So thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. And I hope you have a great night. You too. Take care. Bye. Uh-huh. Bye bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Crystal Night Show brought to you by Newsweek. The best way you can support us is to give your five-star review on Apple iTunes and be sure to check out our diverse lineup at newsweek.com forward slash podcast. I'm Crystal Knight. Thank you for listening. And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast to The Crystal Knight Show. Crystal Knight.